in Genesis chapter 30, and uh, we continue the story. Um, <laughs> it was it, it was a little funny, but I, I expected it. My my uh, wife and I uh, we've studied the Bible for years and years, and this just isn't really her favorite section uh, because of the story about Leah. I mean, you really feel sorry for her, don't you, ladies? And uh, we're not capping on her. Um, we're not making fun of her, but just the realities of what's going on in, in, in her life. But uh, you, you'll recall in this study, we're, we're looking at Jacob. Now, remember, we've started in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and we've gone the first 11 chapters. We went through the whole creation of the world and the fall of man, and we went um, through all the different... Uh, people that were born the first 2,000 years of life on the planet, all the way through Noah, and then uh, his kids, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and from Shem we get we get the next line, the line we're following to the line of Jesus Christ. We come to Abraham, and Abraham is the father of faith, and that's why he's so important, and that's why there's so many chapters about him, chapter 12 through chapter 25 of the book of Genesis, and now we're looking at Jacob. So we have Abraham, his son Isaac, the promised blessing went from Abraham to Isaac, and now it's gone to Isaac's son, his second born, interestingly, that's why the story's there, uh, to Jacob. And you'll see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through the New Testament. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Key people for us to know need to understand who these people are. Now, we're looking at Jacob, and there's 10 chapters from 26 to 36 are all about his life, and we finally get kind of through the beginning of his life, and now we're tonight going to see births, the births of his children, these tribes of Israel, the, these families that make up the Jewish nation that are so important to us as believers today, because from the Jews come the Savior, the Messiah. So these are all important people to uh, to know, and now we're studying Jacob, and Jacob's name means heel catcher, it means con man, he's a schemer, he's a conniver, he... he uh, you know, schemes, and he, he lies to his father and, and, and cheats his bro big brother out of his birthright, knowing full well what he's doing. And in the story we read a couple of weeks ago, after <coughs> scheming on, on uh, his father and lying to him and stealing the birthright, now Jacob is getting schemed on because he goes home to Haran and hangs out with his uncle Laban, and uncle Laban really rips him off because he... he falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. She's beautiful. She's young. She's everything he ever imagined having as a wife. And and uh, so he falls in love with her and, and works out a deal with Laban to uh, work in the field and for seven years out with his sheep. And he's, he kind of learns all about sheep and goats and camels. And that's kind of what he did outside. And, and when he uh, finishes his seven years, he's going to get married and has a big wedding and goes to honeymoon sweet, you know, and wakes up with the wrong woman, wakes up with Leah, uh, Rachel's older sister. And it, it's funny when you read the text, uh, we read it last week, but it's, Laban goes, oh, ha, ha, didn't you catch that detail? I'm sorry, you got to marry the older one first. I mean, uh, very interesting story. So we're looking at this man, Jacob, and he's learning now, we're going to watch him learn how to be a man of God. Starts out as a zero. He's a loser. That's, you're supposed to see that. And again, identify with that. 
We all, that's where we all start out. We're sinners. And slowly God builds within us through trials and sickness and difficulties. That's the way it always is for all believers. We go through those things and God is honing and shaping and molding and making us into what he wants us to be. So that's where we find ourselves tonight as uh, we approach chapter 30 with... Uh, 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 Jacob, and, and we're going to now see his children being born. So again, this chapter is important. It's long. We'll get through it. Um, but I think you'll find it interesting. Father, as we come to you in your word tonight, I pray, Lord, that you would teach us its truth. And everything that's written in here, Lord, is for our benefit. These stories that you have recorded for us so meticulously, they're written here for our benefit. And even though, Lord, there are some parts of, of the Bible that we see humanity in its worst, uh, there's, there's a lesson for us to learn. And I pray, Lord, that we would hear, that we would be open to listen to what the Spirit has to say tonight through the Word. So teach us, we pray, as we come to your Word now in Jesus. Amen. Now, again, I've said the, the story now is all about the births of Jacob's children, but it's also about the battles that go on within the home. You can imagine with all the scheming and stuff going on and him working so hard, finds the wrong wife the next day. He's upset and, and he doesn't really love her anyway, and so there's a problem there. And he, he chose Rachel and loves her more, and so there's battles. In my title tonight, check this title out, here it comes on the screen, Battles and Births. Really, that's, that's all the chapters is about. There's this battle going on within the home, and you can make a lot of applications. We go through it, think about, think about how families are so messed up. Families that, that don't obey the Lord, secular homes, sec homes without Christ. Um, there are Christian homes that are messed up because they're not obedient to the Lord. But if you want your home to be, to be solid, not perfect, but to be solid, you have to obey the Word of God. If you don't, there's going to be a battle. That's why I titled it Battles and Births tonight, because we're going to see all these things that go on in the story. We're, we, we're going to begin in, in chapter 21. Let's just go back because I want to show you this. And my first uh, point here is Leah unloved, yet she's seen. And I want you to notice this again. Uh, where God shows up at the end of chapter 29, verse uh, 31 of chapter 29. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. So Jacob loves Rachel. And, and is with her every night. And that's, that's the one he loves. And he spends all his time with her because he doesn't love Leah, the one he woke up with. Remember this, a sad story. But the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. That's the important thing here. God's involved in the story. Verse 32, so Leah conceived and she bore a son. And she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And now that I have a child, he'll, he'll slip past the things he sees in me, and he'll love me for that. And then she conceived again, verse 33, and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard Simeon, that's heard, then I, I am loved. And so uh, he's given me a son also, and she called his name Heard, or Simeon. And 
Jacob still rejected her. She conceived again, verse 34, and bore a son. And now this time my husband will become attached, Levi, to me, because I have borne him three sons. Their first name is called Levi. So there's, there's no doubt that throughout this story you see this woman's rejected. She's unloved. She's in pain. She's hurting. And I, you know, we all sympathize with her. She's crying out to her husband. She's aching for love in the story and, and aching for attention. But Jacob is totally missing in these verses because he doesn't love her. And, and as sad as it is, but that's the truth here. And um, he doesn't see her crying. He doesn't care about her pain. He's not involved at all as we look at these verses. Leah, here's the point that I want to make through this, is Leah, she's invisible to two people here in the story. Number one, Jacob. Jacob doesn't see her, doesn't pay any attention to her. But she's also invisible to her father, to her father as well, because her father is using her, just using her as a as wages, as a you know, kind of bargaining chip. And again, it's a sad family. It's very tragic when you really look at this family closely. But God sees her. God hears her. So this is where you go, oh, thank God for this. Maybe you felt left out. Maybe you've been the last person chosen on the you know, school team, or you always felt like you never measured up. God hears. God sees. God knows. And I think that's important, uh, an important point to see here. So God blesses her and, and gives her four sons. That's the important thing here. He gives her four sons. And again, th verse 35, and she conceived again, and she bore a son. And notice what she says, I will praise the the Lord, or Yahweh. I'll praise Yahweh. I'll give him praise for this. My husband doesn't think of anything of me. I'm not happy in my marriage, but the Lord loves me, and the Lord has blessed me. So she recognizes that. Now in chapter 30, we come to Rachel. So we see Leah in her plight. Now we come to Rachel, and that's where the battle starts to begin. And it's Rachel that she's seeing her condition. She has no children. Leah has children. She's got four sons. How many years it took to get four sons, we're not really sure. But she sees her condition. She doesn't have any children. She's barren. She's watching her sister deliver babies. She's thinking, what about me? When is it, it going to happen to me? I have a husband just about every night, you know, and, I, and this should happen, and it's not. And what about me? And Sarah is just kind of, in a sense, like Rebecca. Remember Rebecca? Isaac's wife, she felt like she had to take action because she wasn't um, uh, getting pregnant either, so she felt she had to do something about that. So Rachel now is jealous of the kids, kids that her sister, her younger sister Leah, or her older sister, pardon me, Leah is having. And so here we come to chapter 30, my first point here, Rachel loved Yet barren, notice this, verse 1, now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister. And she said to Jacob, Jacob, can we have kids? You see that there? Look what she says. Give me children or I'm going to be die. I'm going to die. And it's very emotional. I, I can't say it in the way she did, but it's very emotional cry here. And the reason I've entitled this chapter, ba Battles and Birth, is again, Rachel is seeing that her sister now has four children, and she's demanding, almost got them by the neck, you got to give me kids. 
I'm going to die. I mean, this was a reproach for any woman in this time period. And she's screaming. She's demanding that she has, uh, that he gives her children. And, and when she demands that from Jacob, and again, you have to remember the story. Remember where we've come in, in our text here as we're studying. I'm reminded here of, of Jacob and Esau. And Esau comes in from the field. And all he could care, he doesn't care about his birthright, he doesn't care about his family, he doesn't care about God, he's just a spiritual zero. And he comes in and Jacob's got a big pot of stew and he's stirring it up, you know, and Jacob comes in from the field memory stirring the stew. And remember what Esau says to Jacob? He says, give me food or what? I'm going to die. It's, it's, real, it's reminiscent of, of what's already happened. Again, I believe that that's what the story is, including in little details, so we kind of get the connection here. The connection that the same things that are happening in Jacob's life are, are I mean, in, in Isaac's life are happening in Jacob's life. And you're seeing this, this, this pattern overlap. And it actually continues into the family here. Uh, these people, they're very interesting when you study them, but they're having battles uh, in their homes. And uh, Jacob finds himself now kind of in the same place as his father, Isaac, there. So Jacob, he's got two wives. They're fighting with each other. One has children, one doesn't. One's complaining. One says, I'm going to die. I mean, there's a lot of turmoil going on uh, in their house, a lot of conflict there. And Jacob, verse 2, his anger was aroused against Rachel because of her emotion, because of her demanding of him. And listen to what he says. He says, am I in the place of God who has withheld you from the fruit of the womb? I can't open your womb. I'm not God. I can't make this happen. I mean, it says he's mad here. He's angry at her. So they're having a battle in the home. Husband's wife, has it ever happened to you in your house? There's a battle going on here. They're screaming at each other. And these two people that are supposed to be love in love and, and their marriage uh, relationship, they're screaming at one another here in the text. And, and someone said this, Jacob may have been strong enough to open a well, but he knows he's not strong enough to open a womb. Remember the story, he opened the well and showed his arms, you know, and said, look at Rachel, I can open a well, remember that? But he can't open, and he understands that he's not God. It's very important. He knows he can't play God's role. And his response is not sensitive. It's not kind to his wife. He's mad. He's angry. He's screaming at her as well. Very unsympathetic of his, of his uh, wife's pain. Instead of anger, what should he have done? He should have prayed. If you're in a relationship and maybe you're not getting along, husband and wife, you need to pray. You need to sit down and pray. Don't, uh, you know, the one thing that I'm so grateful of, well, Esther and I grew up in the church. We, we had good mentors. We had people who encouraged us to love God and love his word. We had a lot of great examples. And if you're young, if you're a young person tonight and you're looking to get married or you're, you're young married, look at older Christians that have successful marriages. Not the ones that are yelling in the car when they drive out of the parking lot. Don't, don't look at those. But look at the, look at the, there are people in this fellowship that love one another. And yeah, there's times when you're like, you look at your spouse and you're really, really, that's Esther is looking at me like, did you do that again? Really? But we don't, uh, we, we don't throw plates 
or blows at each other or scream. I've never heard my wife cuss at me, ever, ever. And I'm not coming to a shock. I, people tell me all the time, that, yeah, we just hurl these words at each other. Christians don't, you're not to do that. That's actually forbidden. Uh, you go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 through 31. It gives you conduct concerning this. And take care of that as a, as a married person. But these people are at each other's throat. There's battles going on, and I, I think it's easily illustrated as we look through here. He should have prayed, but he's a spiritual zero. So again, we're seeing Jacob. He's a, a, really a failure as, as far as a spiritual leader. And Rachel, Rachel now, she kind of uh, is going to pull a, um, a Sarah Remember Sarah and Abraham? They couldn't have a child. They were waiting year after year. And so what did she do? Remember she did? She gave her handmaid. So she's going to do the same thing. Rachel's going to pull Sarah here with her handmaid, Billa. Her name, Billa, means troubled. So she said, verse 3, here's my maid, Billa. So they're screaming at each other. Would you just go have a baby with Billa then? I mean... I don't know what they said, but go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Billah, her maid, as wife. And Jacob went into her and Billah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. So it's not her son, it's Billah's son, but she's taken that son as hers because it's her husband's. And she names him Dan, which means judged. And Rachel's maid, Billah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Prevail, or Naphtali. Now again, Rachel here, she sees herself in a battle with her sister. She's wrestling. You see the, the term there in verse 8. She sees herself as now a winner. I'm a winner. I've got a child. Even though my uh, sister has four, I've got two now. It's two against four. I mean, this is how she's seeing this whole thing. As we go through, you'll notice that. Um, Donald Gray Barnhouse, a, a great Bible commentator, one of my favorite reads, he says, can a woman get so low that she will hit her sister over the head with a baby? <laughs> I thought that was really interesting because Rachel, that's what Rachel's doing here with her children. And uh, there's no mention of God. There's no mention of prayer. There's no seeking God's will in this. And I think it's important to get to note. But Leah has in the other corner, you know, she's in the other side. She's the other part of this wrestling match here. She's got a new strategy. And my next point here in verse 9, Leah's battle. And the babies are in the middle of this battle. When Leah, verse 9, saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah. And, and Zilpah's name means drops of myrrh. She took her maid and gave her to Jacob, his wife. So can you see the battle going on here? Oh, yeah? You gave your hand to well, give I'll give her my handmaid. I mean, it's twisted, isn't it? And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes. I mean, she's saying, look at me, I've got four, and, and, and here's another, a troop, I've got a troop. It's, it's <laughs> so she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, I'm happy for the daughters who will call me blessed. 
not unhappy that God has opened my womb, not unhappy that God is guiding and directing me, that my chain is taken away and, and, and other women will look at me. Very interesting. So she called his name Asher. So Rachel have, has no children. She gives her maid to Jacob, and Leah has the four sons. So why does she give her maid Zilpah to Jacob? Again, it's competition. They're in a battle here. It's four to two, and now it's, you know, the numbers are rising here. Battle with babies. It's, I put a little note here. It's like, instead of MMA, you know, mixed martial arts, this is BBS, battle between sisters here. Because that's really what we're saying. And again, if you're keeping score, we're in four to two and, and, and rising here really quickly. But here's the, the sad truth. She praised the Lord back in chapter 29, verse 35. I showed you that. But now she's got a different, she says, I'm happy for the daughters will call me blessed. Look at, look at all the people around the seeing what I'm doing. Look, what I, look who I am. No, she's all into who she is rather than giving praise to the Lord. So her focus has shifted, has shifted really away from God. She's looking for praise from the, the people around. Why? Because she's consumed with this competition. They're in competition here. Round two, here we go, verse 14, and, and I put as a title here, words and roots, you'll see what I mean. Verse 14, now Reuben, Reuben, little Reuben, the firstborn, Reuben, who knows how old he is, maybe he's 10, 12 years old, running around in the fields. He went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field, and he brought them to his mother Leah. Rachel sees the mandrakes that Leah has, because they're, they're close enough to, they're living in the same place. And Rachel says, please give me some of your son's mandrake. Now, I was going to bring a picture of mandrake, but I'll just have to describe it. It's, the word mandrakes in the Hebrew means love apples. It's a, uh, these mandrakes were like an, uh, um, uh, Viagra, Cialis, I don't know, whatever. I don't take any of that stuff, but that's what it is. It's, it's like an aphrodisiac uh, to, to get things moving, you know, in, in your home. And uh, that's what mandrakes were. And these people believed that the mandrake would, would make their wife more fertile. And so a woman that was trying to attract a man, and she would have mandrakes around her. And you'll see mandrakes in different places. In Song of Solomon, you'll see mandrakes mentioned uh, in, in the Bible. But they actually believed that they would increase the fertility um, of women. And when I read that, I thought about all these, these commercials. You see commercials, you know, with, with those two drugs that I just mentioned. Or, and, uh, and not much has changed in 4,000 years is all I could think of. You know, people are still, they have that on their mind. But Leah's son, Reuben, he was out and he's, he's running around the field as a young boy, it seems. And he finds the mandrakes. He brings them back to his mom. And... Uh, and, and then uh, Rachel sees the mandrakes, and so she says, I, I want those mandrakes. What are you going to do with those mandrakes? Verse 15, but Leah said to Rachel, it's a small matter that you have taken away my husband. Would you also take away my son's mandrakes? <laughs> those are like fighting words, aren't they? And Rachel said, therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. Go ahead. Very interesting. Because uh, I believe, again, um, Jacob loved Rachel. He probably spent more time in her tent than in Leah's tent. 
until Leah gave it the handmaid, and he was over there. It's really twisted, isn't it? And these kids, again, again, my wife hates this chapter, but, but she didn't hate it, but um, it's one of those chapters where you just you go through, what is going on here? These are the children of Israel. Jacob, his name's going to be changed, and the children of Israel, the 12 tribes, the 12 tribes that are mentioned in the book of Revelation all through the Bible, these are the kids. This is where they came from. This is their parents. Again, you might think, wow, I thought my family was messed up. There's hope for me, because you see what's going on in this family. But very, very again, interesting in all the stuff that's going on. Rachel had Jacob with her nearly, again, every night. Couldn't get pregnant. And so now there's these mandrakes here. And so the, the, the whole thing with the mandrakes. But Leah said to her, it's a small matter. Take away my husband, I, again. In, in, incredible. Verse 16, when Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him. I wonder how she was dressed. And said, you must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. Now, again, very interesting. Mandrakes were an aphrodisiac. They were, a, they were a blood potion, number nine. I don't know. They were just, in this culture, that's what they, it was all about that. And so Jacob goes and spends the night with his original, his first wife, Leah. Here's the interesting thing about this story. When you see it, you go, well, this is really bizarre. But look at verse 17. God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob his fifth son. So now she has another. She had four. Now she's got five of her own plus the two from her handmaid. And God has given me my wages. Very interesting because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Ishkar or wages. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me. Now he'll finally, finally love me. I have six kids. He'll love me finally. He'll, he'll like me. You know, it's, it's just pathetic when you read about her. Because I born him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards she bore a daughter. Her name was Dinah. So we have this tenth son born to Leah named Zebulun. So we have all these kids, six plus two, and then there's um, the other two from the other handmaid. And that makes ten. There's ten sons here. And Zebulun's name means dwelling there. But she still is longing for her husband to accept her. She, her heart still hurts and aches for his love. And, and there's never a mention of him or his love for her. Um, it's sad. Jacob's marriages and his relationships, they're all wrong. You, this is not the place to come to uh, teach at a marriage Bible study, if, you're, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you don't want this kind of relationship. This is the negative in every sense of the, the word. Jacob failed as a husband to love Leah, his wife. And so she resorts to try to get him to love her. She thought the first four kids would, would get him, but it wouldn't. So she resorts to this mandrake, this love portion, something to draw him closer to her. She's using something else to, to uh, draw his attention. And she puts more attention on that mandrake than on prayer. 
There's no spiritual life here. Do you, do you get that? I, I want you to understand that. I think the Lord wants us to see there's no spiritual life here in this family. And God's plan from the beginning. I, I need to take a break from all this negative stuff. God's plan from the beginning was one woman, one man for a lifetime. And I believe that was probably taught. It wasn't done, but it was taught. Let me show you again. We studied this last year when we were in Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become four, you know, four in a family. No, one. One flesh. Uh, a marriage relationship is one woman and one man for a lifetime. It's, that's the scripture. And in Leviticus 18, later on, there's going to be a law. This comes later after the story we're reading, but there's a law about marrying your sister. Um, and it's forbidden in the scriptures. But again, these, this family is just upside down. They're, they're, they're just... Uh, they say struggle in every way. They're battling in every way. Uh, the, the one point that comes out as we're reading through this story is that now he has a daughter. So there's ten sons and a daughter. The daughter's name is Dinah. But there will be other daughters. We just don't have any of their names. Some people think that he only had 12 sons and a daughter, but he actually had a lot. In fact, here's a proof text, Genesis 46 to 15. And these were the sons of Leah, who she bore to Jacob when they were in Haran, or Padam Aram, with his daughter Dinah. All the persons, his sons and his daughters, were 33. So had 33, Leah had, and him had 33 children, and they had other daughters. There's only one mention, and that's Dinah. And the reason we get Dinah's name is because in two weeks, when we get to chapter 34, there's a tragic situation with Dinah and his family. We'll, we'll look at that later. But now we come to verse 22. And there's this battle going on. The family's upside down. They're screaming and yelling. And there's all this scheming going on. But in the midst of it all, God shows up. And Rachel is remembered. Look at verse 22. The, then God remembered Rachel. And God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me. Joseph means add, to add to. The Lord shall add to me another son. So Joseph, after years of struggle and 11 children in this family, in this home, there's 11 children of Jacob at this time. Rachel's praying. She's battling with her husband. She's you know, saying, I'm going to die if you don't give me kids. She's trying to manipulate. There's all this stuff going on, but she must be talking to God. And God hears her, her requests there. God listened to her, verse 22, and opened her womb. Now, I, I love this because she begins by demanding from her husband. But now she's learning that she can't get her way, and so she's going to God. I believe that's how it is with, with everybody. That everybody is going to cry out to God for something. There's going to come a time in their life where they're going to cry out to God. You know, it might be as they jump out of a plane and forgot their parachute, and they're going, oh God! You know, 
there's a time in everyone's life where you call out to God, and she does that. She was calling out to her husband, but she finally called out to God, and God blessed her. God opened up her womb, and she acknowledges that only God can do that, saying, God has taken away my reproach. So we have this Joseph. Joseph means he added, and it's Joseph who becomes the key son in this story, a great man to remember as we move through the story, Joseph becomes a, a key, key player in God's redemptive plan. When he reveals this, he's going to redeem his people, starting with this family, these, these, this family that's raw and scheming, and they're going to continue to scheme. Joseph, uh, you know the story, the coat of many colors, the ditch, the, the sail to Egypt, the moon down there, and, and Joseph is the one. God's going to use this family. He's going to redeem. He's going to purchase back. And it becomes a picture of what God does in the New Testament, does for you and I by redeeming us. So main person, main character in God's redemptive plan. Verse 25, we have this agreement, and we'll rip through this section here. It's kind of a narrative. But Jacob's agreement with Laban. So the kids are, are born, and the sons are there. And we move into this new phase in Jacob's life. Notice, and it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Uncle Laban, that nice old man that has been scheming and conniving and conning him, he says, send me away that I may go to my own place. And notice what he says, my own country. In other words, Jacob doesn't see Haran as his home. He came from Canaan, the promised land. And he's up in Haran right now doing all this stuff. He's been up here 14 years or so. And now he's saying, I, I want to go back to my country. I want to go back to my parents. I want to go back to the land that I was promised. Now he's starting to remember the, the promises of God. He says, I want to go back to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you. And let me go, for you know my service which I have done. I worked hard for you. And Laban said to him, Oh, please stay. If I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Well, yeah. He's living the, the life. I mean, Jacob is living this blessed life. God blessed him. And so, because Jacob is living with Laban, Laban is becoming a very wealthy man because God is blessing Jacob. And, and Laban understands this. He says, oh, no, leave. You know, I, I, things are going really well here. Then he said, verse 28, name me your price and I'll give it. So, very interesting here, the, the, the deal that's, that, that Laban's trying to make. But Jacob has made Laban a ton of money. There's no doubt there. And, and now Uncle Laban doesn't want him to go away. Verse 29, so Jacob said, you know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me? So this kind of tells you what Jacob's done. What has he been doing for 14 years? He's, he's not growing things. He's with the livestock. He's doing animal husbandry with sheep and goats and camels and horses and all. For what you have before I came was little. You have just small herds. But it's all increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, when shall I also provide for my own house? 
So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today. And I'll take all the, the spotted, the speckled, the blemished sheep from, and the brown ones too. Now, these people, there were two sheep that were real valuable, the black ones and the white ones. The rest of them were kind of like, you know, just the poor man's dinner. But if you wanted filet mignon, you, you, I mean, I'm just saying that. Uh, if you wanted the best, it's going to be a f completely white sheep or lamb or a completely black one. But the speckled one, the striped ones, they were seen as blemished. And so he says, I'm going to go through and take all those, the brown, the spotted, the speckled, among the goats and the sheep. That'll be my wages. I'll just take all the losers from you. I'll take all the, 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 the spotted ones from you. And so Laban's hearing this from Jacob, and it sounds like a pretty good deal. You know, if he takes away all those, and I'll be, I'll even look better. My hairs will be worth more. When I sell something, it comes from, from Laban's herd, and everybody knows that they're pure. There's no spotted ones in Laban's herd. So this is a good deal for Laban. And he couldn't really refuse the deal. So, verse 33, my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, oh, that is, it were according to your word. This sounds like a great deal. So he renewed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them into the hand of his sons. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. So three days would have been a long distance, so these flocks couldn't intermingle and become speckled and spotted again, so there'd be purity between the flocks. Three days' journey, and Jacob's deal was again to, to care for, continue to care for Laban's flocks, so that in the coming six months when the, the, these, these, this herd that now has been spread out starts to have the little ones, the little babies, and they were speckled and spotted, he would take them out of the herd. So he's going to make the herd pure. He's going to take all the, the blemished ones out. That's the plan here. And again, it's a, a great deal for Laban. But notice here in verse 37, God increases Jacob's wealth here. I love this. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar, and of the almond and chestnut trees, he peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he said before the flocks in the gutters, in the watering troughs. You have to, what they would do is, is um, they would dig a trough in the ground, and then he would put these sticks in the ground, and they're different colors. But he would peel off the bark, and they're different kinds, chestnut tree and the different trees. So you have different color stripes. And it's this is kind of strange, and I'm not sure exactly how this works, but, but um, it's gonna, the, the different uh, stripes and things are going to reflect in the herd. And so when they come to drink, so notice the rods which he appealed, he said, before the flocks in the gutters, and, and when they came to drink, so the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth, voila, the same thing that the, the little rods that were stuck in the feeding or the watering troughs, speckled, streaked, and spotted. So Jacob, I, 
I don't know. And everybody that I've read, they don't understand everything that's going on here with, this, with the rods and the sticks that he put in the watering troughs. But he had learned a lot about sheep for the 14 years that he was working for Rachel and, and Leah, really for Rachel. And then, and then as he's having this family. So he's been there a long time. He's learned a lot. And we're not really sure exactly what is going on here. But he puts these different pieces of wood. And they have this influence over the flocks. And, and this is all to help him grow and prosper so he can take herds back with him when he goes back to Canaan. Verse 40. Then Jacob separated the lambs. And he made the flocks face toward the street and all the brown and all the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flocks. Again, he's separating. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of this livestock in the gutters, and where, they, where they got their water, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger were Jacob. So he had a plan there. He was, he's, he's taking the, the stronger ones out. They're speckled, and Laban thinks he's getting a better deal, but um, Jacob is still, he's, got, he's in swindler mode here. But again, this selective breeding, I, I don't totally get it. I don't understand everything, but the bottom line is God is blessing it, and God is blessing him, and his herds now are increasing. Verse 43, thus the man became exceedingly prosperous. That means he was doing really well. He had lots of herds. He had large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. So he's, he's grown in his, his, um, uh, his family. He's grown in his uh, monetary gain with the flocks and the herds and then servants as well. God is blessing Jacob. But he can't be blessing Jacob because Jacob's good. Because Jacob is not good in this story. I mean, when I read this story, I say, well, that, there's no way. Why is God blessing Jacob when he's not good? Here's the reason why. Because God's a blessing God. Because God is gracious. And it doesn't matter what you've done. God wants to bless you. I, I believe that with all my heart. And seeing God bless these careless and, and battling women, and then Jacob, the schemer, it just blows my mind. I see the grace of God. God blesses him because he's a blessing God. God blesses him because of the promise that he made to Abraham. Land, big family, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And I'm going to bless you for all those increases. God promised Abraham, and it's gone to Isaac, and now it's gone to Jacob. And we're seeing that happen right here in his, his life. So God is blessing him. Back in Genesis 28, that whole blessing, you can go back there and look, I'm not going to read it, but that whole blessing of land, people, and, and God's blessing for the future uh, generations as well. Now, let me just stop here and, and make some application. And there's, there's a lot of different things that you could say about this, and we could talk about marriage and how you don't want this kind of example, right? We can say that. Um, the struggles that Leah and Rachel are having, um, as, 
uh, I, I believe they happen, and then maybe they're happening in your life, or maybe you know someone that that struggles. They're, they're sisters, and they, they don't get along, and they scream and yell at each other. Jacob didn't make it any easier because he married these two women at the same time. And we look at that and we go, wow, you know, polygamy, isn't it wrong? Pastor, isn't it wrong? was always wrong. And that's why I showed you that verse in Genesis 2. It's never been God's plan. Polygamy isn't God's plan, but we see it in the Bible. Why? Because these are real people. And so we can learn from their mistake. But here's, here's what I see. In our society, divorce is acceptable. We say it's not acceptable. It's very acceptable. And people... Instead of living simultaneously with four different women, they just do it one at a time. And I, I, I'm just saying that. You know, this, this might sting some of you that have been divorced. I'm just saying that we need to be very careful and take the word of God seriously. He has designed marriage to be one woman and one man for a lifetime commitment. And anything outside of that is sin. So listen to the word of the Lord and obey, Christians. Listen to that. So they did it simultaneously, polygamy. In our culture, we see it happen. It's just done consecutively when you think about it. Secondly, when I read this story, I think about babies and motherhood. These women just had to have a baby. They loved children so much and they, they wanted to have children. In our society, we have babies and throw them away. In our culture, it's celebrated. Abortion is almost celebrated. Remember the, the videos that came out a couple of years ago with, with the lunchtime wine toasting, the Planned Parenthood people talking about selling body parts. Remember that? It's twisted. It's wrong. It's evil. And again, we look at this culture and say, well, boy, they were really arcane. They were, they were really bad people. Well, look at the culture we're living in, Christians. And we should not be a part of any of these things as believers. And thirdly, I see in the story again, and I'm putting these two chapters, 28 and 20, uh, or 29 and 30 together, but I also see the love, sex, and marriage. Love, sex, and marriage have been designed by God to be a wholesome, fulfilling, and wonderful part of a, a, a two people coming together in one flesh. Not two people, I should say, one woman, one man together in, in that one flesh union. That's God's design. That's the way God designed it. And love, sex, and marriage is to be enjoyed within that bond. Because God designed the family. And when we um, uh, order our family like God, says, then God will take care of those issues. And instead of being a, a, you know, having Rachel's hands around her husband's neck and screaming, give me children or I'm going to die. I mean, wow. You have a, uh, you, you go to your husband and you talk to him about that issue you have. You don't throw stones at him and you, you, you work with your wife and you pray for her if she's not pregnant and you, you, you suffer with her through years, maybe years, and let the Lord do what he's going to do and trust God, trust God. Very important that we see these things um, in the story. God wants marriages to be successful. This is, these are just examples in, in these people's lives where they just were really blowing it. The other thing that I see here, and the last thing that I'm, I'm going to mention, is that 
if you're a young person looking forward to get married or if you have no children, the most important part of your relationship is the spiritual side. You cannot be successful with lust. Remember, it's Jacob who sees Rachel and he just, he just falls head over heels over her because she's so beautiful. And he never pays attention to Leah. Why? But the indication in scripture is that she's got weak eyes and she's you know, like a cow and whatever. You know, I, I don't mean to make light of that, but that's what the scripture kind of indicates. And so Jacob never pays any attention to her. Listen, I've been married long enough, 40 years, it'll be in October this year, and Esther and I don't look like we used to look. And if we wanted to look like we used to look, and we just that's all we ever worked on, and that's what our marriage was based on, then we would not be married now. You should see some funky pictures of me. I've shown my kids that we were over at, at, at our uh, family birthday party, and shown a picture of me with... I, uh, I had a mullet. I, I, I'll admit it. I, I'll just admit it. Fuzzy hair with a really long mullet. When I first started on staff here, actually, I had just a goober to the max. But, but you change. If you do not focus on the spiritual, then when you're older, you're going to look at the lust part of your relationship and the romance is not going to be there. But if you focus on the spiritual, 40 years, romance is there, let me just tell you. But you've got to focus, young people, on the spiritual. That's the key. So do that. And let God bring those things into your life. And then when children come, here's, here's really my, my closing thought here. Because they're going to come. It, and when you're married and you love one another, you're going to have kids. They're, they're going to come in God's time as he de de decides and he's going to bring children into your life. Instead of being creators of love, they become the main consumer of love. If you focus all your attention into your kids when they come, then you're going to lose what God really wants and, and sees as primary in your life. The primary relationship is husband and wife, not kids. Kids add to the family. A family is a husband and wife. They're one flesh. God honors that. You, husbands, invest your time in your wife, not your kids. Soccer's good. Uh, wives, sports are fine. But invest your time in your husband, not your child. And I know that's hard for a wife to hear. It's like, well, but, but they're so helpless and needy and nurturing. That's why my, my husband's all dirty and his fingernails are bad and he doesn't smell like he used to you know, when we first got married. And I, I know that, but listen, you need to focus on that primary relationship. And then, then you can influence your kid for righteousness. Otherwise, if your marriage is bad, you're going to have trouble raising your children. I'm just giving you my wisdom from years and counseling and the things that I've seen, and I can show you that. In fact, I, I want to close really quick in Ephesians chapter 5. So turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I want to prove what I've been saying. So this is for husbands and wives tonight that thought, 
you could just look at Jacob and Rachel and say, they're a blowout, they're losers, you know, and, and it doesn't affect you. Well, it affects us all if we're married. But notice how Paul talks about marriage in Ephesians 5.21. He says, submitting to one another in fear of God. Marriage is husband submitting to the wife and wife submitting to the husband. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. That's what that means. Husbands submit to the needs of your wife. Husbands submit to their emotions. Husbands submit to them and, and encourage them and love them. Submit to one another. And then wives submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife and also Christ is head of the church and he is savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let their wives be to their own husbands in Everything. That's the word of the Lord. And then verse 25, husbands, agape your wives just as Christ also agape the church and gave himself for her. Very strong language. Husbands, you're not off the hook. If your wife's not loving you, it's probably because she's responding to you. You love your wife and she'll respond to you. So this is the word of the Lord. We kind of waded through the, the bad relationship of Jacob, Rachel, Leah, and the handmaids. Now we have the kids of Jacob. We're going to move on from there. But I wanted to end with this positive. This is such wonderful truth. Ephesians chapter 5. This is what God wants for marriage and his church and his people. He wants them to be submissive and loving. Amen? Father, thank you for the word tonight. I ask God that, that as we've gone through this, this narrative, there may be some here that, that are single, and yet there's truth for them to learn. There may be some young people here, and I pray that they would hear what the Spirit says through the Word. And Lord, I, I pray that you would bless any relationships in our church, marriage relationships that are struggling. Maybe even blended families, Lord, that the hardest uh, of all marriages, blended homes. It's just hard. It's difficult. There's, there's so much extra going on. And I pray, Father, that, that the Christians that have a blended relationship would love their wives, love their husbands, love their children, pray much, trust you. Lord, bless them. We just thank you, God, again, for your word. Thank you for its eternal value. Thank you for its truth. May we, Lord, honor you by being obedient. In Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's all stand.